Welcome to Greyhounds Make Great Pets with Rory Goray, TJ Beter, and Kathy Goray. Each week, we talk about the connections between owners and their pets with an emphasis on topics that apply to greyhounds. If you want to hear more about your best friend, stay tuned. Now, here are your hosts. Hot dang, it's Friday the 13th, and you know what that means. What? It's... I did not ask for comments from the other host. It's time for another edition of Greyhounds Make Great Pets. For those of you listening on demand, what day it is is up to you. Either way, sit back and enjoy because today, author and behavior and training expert Lee Livingood will be joining us with oodles of knowledge that will help both pups be better pets and humans be better and responsible pet owners. But before we bring on our guests, just a bit of rambling from yours truly, because I do that so well. Advanced registration for the Solvang Gathering in, you guessed it, Solvang, California is now open. However, it will end on December 31st, so you better hurry and register. The event will be held January 9th through 12th, 2020. Visit the Solvang Gathering's Facebook page to learn more. Sandy Paws, Great Fun in the Sun's 2020 dates are March 11th through 15th, and registration is now open. Sandy Paws is held at Villas by the Sea Conference Center on beautiful Jekyll Island in Georgia. For info and updates, visit their website at www.sandypaws.org. And registration for Heart of America's Greyhound Gathering 2020 in Abilene, Kansas, will open sometime in the new year and gmgp will keep you filled in on all the details if your adoption group has an upcoming event that you would like the world of gmgp listeners to know about send us an email with the full 411 and our email is gmgp3 that's the number three at yahoo.com and rory do you have anything for us before we bring on lee living good well just wanted to mention that uh last saturday there was a hall of greyhounds that came into Arizona from Abilene. Um, it was a great hall of a lot of volunteers there that morning when the greyhounds arrived. And it was just a fantastic uh, morning with all the people there, excitement, <laughs> seeing the dogs, and I think uh, rejuvenating some folks' belief that uh, the dogs will be coming back. You know, they'll be able to get a greyhound. Yep, that that's good news. And, in fact, from the pictures I saw in the videos, everybody was was all hands on deck, and there were different stations for nail trimming and checking them over and handing off and tagging dogs. And it was it was a finely run <clears throat> machine. Right, and we even, they was even had a vet there uh, just to check out the dogs as they were coming off and uh, keep a watch on them as they were going through the various stations. And she, she was just in awe of how great of shape the greyhounds were and how well cared they had been uh, taken care of and so it was just an amazing morning and thank you to all the volunteers who made that happen also uh you mentioned the solvane looking forward to that i have had some discussions with uh, lemos that is on again for this year so uh all those out here in the southwest think about coming to the solvane gathering because it does help out with halls of greyhounds and there's going to be plenty of greyhounds here in the next year or so that will need to move and surely we'd love to get a bunch of them out here to the southwest definitely and i'm going to put some pressure on you for any adoption group leaders or 
uh, placement reps who will be attending the Solvang Gathering. Rory would be happy to talk to you regarding some upcoming hauls and getting dogs into your Greyhound Adoption Group. Exactly. And then... You mentioned Sandy Paws, which I do believe I'll be speaking at. I believe so. You know what? I'll be there, too. But I'm going to be vending. I don't talk in public. And then <laughs> the Heart of America gathering. Yes. So we got a full schedule this year. Mm-hmm. Got a couple other little picnics here yeah. and there along the way. Yeah. Well, since we have a dog named Yogi, we got to go to picnic so he can get his picnic basket. basket. Yeah. But um, um, I wish yeah. we had sound effects. <laughs> <laughs> or your mic off, one or the other. <laughs> oh, well. Don't you think we've babbled more than enough? I believe so. With that said, uh, it's an honor to have our guest today, Lee Living Good. Uh, Lee, how are we doing today? Doing fine. You know, sitting here in a rainy East Coast yuck day, but aside from that, we're doing great. Well, we won't. Uh, I will tell you a little bit of breakup on the call, so I may have to ask you to repeat from time to time. Oh, that's quite okay. But, I, you know, we're not going to mention that, you know, this morning when I got up, I had to go put the sun tires on my vehicle and get it all ready for the sunshine that we have out here in Arizona today. <laughs> <Shut up. laughs> oh, well. You're not. <laughs> well, yeah, I even had to put fuzzy socks on with my shorts. So, yeah, it's it's getting nippy out here, too, you know. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Lee, again, as Rory said, it's a pleasure to have you back with us and to help us be better pet owners and with all your knowledge. So, you know what? I'm just going to sit back. Rory's going to shut up, and we are going to let you talk about what needs to be talked about. Yeah. What's your first subject for today? Oh, good. Uh, no prompts at all, huh? <laughs> no, okay. not at all. No, we're, we're on the fly here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, that's one of the things that um, I've had on my mind lately. Um, it's not greyhound specific, but um, I'm right, right now I'm doing um, a class for reactive dogs, dogs that are leash reactive to other dogs. And it's been kind of a fascinating experience because... I've been doing this for about 25 years, but I've always been doing one-on-one kinds of uh, interactions with clients. And so teaching a class is a whole new experience and, and has to be done very differently. Well, so, bef- before you go on, because I'm very, very blonde, can you define for myself and our listeners what is Leash Reactive? It's a dog that when it sees it, when you're on leash walking the dog and it sees another dog, it goes nuts. Uh-huh. So barking, lunging, snarling, you pick it. Got it. Um, everybody's seen one of those somewhere, even if they don't have one. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, I'm in the course of, along the course I'm trying to develop this because I walked into, I'm working for someone else, which is also a whole new experience for me. Um, <laughs> And I'm developing this class based on, you know, what had been done previously. It's really quite an interesting experience because um, doing it when you're dealing with a group of four dogs versus doing it one-on-one with a dog and an owner or a handler is a very different situation. And, and the reason I bring it up is because over the course of the decades that uh, I've been working with greyhounds, um, Occasionally, we see this 
with the greyhound. They come off the track and they're perfectly fine with every other dog, every other greyhound they've ever met. And the first dog that comes along that's not a greyhound, it throws them for a loop. Um, if the experience with that new dog is good, uh, you know that is to say that the, the new do- the dog it meets, the dog it sees when it's walking in the park or whatever, is um, good in the sense that the other dog is not a reactive dog, um, that it has greyhound kinds of manners, meaning its a, its idea of greeting another dog, the way greyhounds do, tends to be very respectful, I guess. Is, I mean, I know that's that turning human stuff into dog stuff, <laughs> but that's the best way I can describe it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so it's a very polite kind of greeting. And the first dog that comes along is one of those big, goofy adolescent. And I'm going to pick on Labrador Retrievers because everybody knows what everybody knows one, and they know how exuberant they can be about life. Well, that's and the way they would greet each other and immediately go into maybe some crazy kinds of play is not what the average greyhound is used to. And they've never seen a dog that looks like that before, so it's like, what is this weird character? Um, They're very good at recognizing their own breed, but they don't necessarily understand quite what this other thing might be. And if it's a bad introduction, uh, it creates a memory that uh, can then be, you know, get enough of those kinds of bad experiences and suddenly you've got a greyhound that decides, and, and, you know, this is not just true of greyhounds, it's true of any dog that can become reactive as a result of experiences bad with other dogs. Right. Um, it's just that greyhounds tend to be a fairly sensitive breed, so bad stuff tends to leave a much deeper memory with them than it might with a different dog. And so... Uh, the next thing you know, you've got a greyhound that instead of greeting every other dog that sees and trying to be polite, now says the best defense is a good offense. And first we start with, you know, maybe just a hackle going up or, uh, you know, a growl or, you know, something of that sort. And as it progresses, if no one does anything to help the dog learn to deal with these other animals, these other dogs that are coming at them, it turns into a full-blown uh, aggressive response. Again, it's usually about, it's not aggressive and is, I want to go kill that other dog. It's aggressive as in, how, what do I have to do to get space between me and that other dog? And they learn somewhere along the way that acting like that, barking, growling, lunging, all those other things work. It gets the other dog put at a distance. And so that continues to reinforce the behavior which tends to make it worse. Right. Um, without some intervention to fix that, that's what it's going to, or I shouldn't say fix it, but to manage it and um, modify the behavior, it's going to tend to get worse. Um, so because I'm seeing that, I guess that's on my mind a lot because I do see greyhounds that, that do that, and they go from, unfortunately, sometimes reacting to, let's say it's a, a black a black Labrador Retriever. Well, then the next thing that happens is they see another breed that's maybe a little little too exuberant, and, okay, uh, yellow dogs, too. Um, then it's, oh, it's a collie. Then it's, so pretty soon it's virtually every breed, and sometimes even greyhounds. It, 
sometimes for some dogs it gets to the point where any dog is the enemy in the sense that get me out of here I can't handle this um, so I guess you know because there are things that people can do to try to help prevent that um, I guess that's why I'm thinking about it today uh, plus of course I just got finished doing finishing up the my follow-up email to my class from the other night, so mm-hmm. I'm especially especially on my mind today. Well, this is a very, you know, important issue, especially with greyhounds, because as more and more of the events um, are are more, um, you know, sighthound oriented, as then many are not uh, exclusively greyhounds anymore. Their interaction at close quarters with other breeds is going to be more and more of an issue. So, you know, as responsible pet owners, we need to know what to do to keep everybody safe and happy. Right. You know, you, you brought that up. I've, I've observed at a lot of the events that we've been going to over the last several years that we're hearing more and more snarling, growling going on. And I'm, I'm kind of wondering if there's just a lot of greyhound people that were used to their greyhounds being able to interact with other greyhounds. Right, and now, you don't even think about it. Don't even think about it. And now you've got all these other breeds that are at these events. And it's, you know, I mean, we, we've seen, unfortunately, at a couple of events, some fights. Um, I'm almost to the point where I really don't even want to go to greyhound events, really, some of these big events, because there's so many of these other dogs there. And I'm just tired of seeing the snarling and the occasional fights. And it's not between the people. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, really. Uh, although it often deteriorates to that. Um, but it, you've just hit on something. I mean, you two have known me for pretty close to two decades. And when's the last time you saw me with any of my dogs at a major event with lots of dogs? Exactly, exactly. And we don't bring ours because I'm not going to buy, you know, five first-class tickets so they can just sit in <laughs> seats and have, you know, breakfast. But... <laughs> <laughs> but it is true. I don't know if I doubt I would even take my own dogs to one of these big events yeah. just because of what's going on. And, uh, you know, well, I, and from a vendor standpoint, you know, I see a lot of people and, you know, it, it's great I, going back. I mean, I used to bring my first Greyhound to events and he used to sleep behind my booth and that was great. But l- looking at things now. Yes, I, I miss not being there with any of our tribe, but on the flip side, if you're in a venue and you're there to shop and it's not for a dog coat or a dog collar, then maybe leave your pup back in the room or, you know, if you're there with other friends, maybe some of you take shifts because the attention span of, well, you know, okay, I'm a shopper, so I can say this uh, on myself. My attention span is on shopping. It's not going to pay attention to my dog, and that's wrong. So, therefore, if you're going to be shopping or doing things and your whole mind is not going to be on your dog first and you've got things to do, leave your dog with, with someone or maybe back home where they're a little more comfortable. I'm, I'm kind of going with back home. We had uh, Mike Strickland on the show, <laughs> show several, uh, two, three, four weeks ago. And there was a topic about, you know, the stress. If the dogs are not in stress, they're, they're going to be happy. And you, you can see it when they're at the farms. So there's no stress there for them. They're doing what they love to do. They're in a good, great environment. If you have st- stress at home, you're going to have problems. And part of my belief is you, you're taking a greyhound or other dog 
they're quite happy in their home. They know their routine. Now, all of a sudden, you're taking them to this new environment, this hotel room that they've never been in before. And then, unfortunately, a lot of times, people just leave their dogs in the, in the hotel room and go off to dinners and all that, and this dog is now left in this hours. Yeah, unfamiliar mm-hmm. place. You've just now introduced stress to the dog, and then when you take them out and they're meeting and seeing all these other dogs, you got a bunch of stressed-out animals. There's going to be problems. Definitely. Now, Lee, is there anything that you can offer or suggest to those who do leave their pet in their hotel room? Okay, say they're doing doing it smart. They're just running out. They're going to get something, bring it back to the room. What can you do for your pet, be it greyhound or, or other breed, that will give them some comfort, give them some relaxation, non-stress if they are left in a hotel room? I mean, is there any trick that you found that might be useful? Yeah, a couple of things, but I, one thing I want to go back to quickly is you, you started to touch on it, but from my perspective, the most important thing that you can do with a dog um, is to, if, if you're trying to avoid situations like having them become reactive when they haven't been in the past, the most important thing you can do is pay attention to the dog. You know, pay attention to what's going on around them. See the other dog, and, you know, before they do it, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, so that if you can see that that's a dog that's reacting poorly, don't let your dog get any closer. The problem that we have is, and, and especially bad at these large events, where I, I've always, and I'm not really joking, I've always said, I swear that I could walk up, there's a bunch of people, say three, four people talking, their dogs are with them, I could swap, walk up, switch leashes on those dogs, <laughs> and they and walk away, and it would be an hour before they noticed they didn't have their own dog. Yeah. yeah. Because yeah. that's full attention they're paying to the dog, when my feeling is that if I have my dog with me, my primary responsibility is the same as if I have my three-year-old child with me. My primary responsibility is to be paying attention to my dog and what's happening around them because they can't fix that themselves. We have to fix that. If we leave it to them to fix, they tend to start eventually fixing it with their teeth. And that's what we're trying to avoid. Exactly. um, Back to Roy's uh, question about comforting, uh, comfort and strength situation. Um, Obviously, the simplest thing to do is to make sure you're bringing their own bed or, you know, something that's if the bed's too big to drag along, then for a couple of weeks or a week before you go on the road with them, um, put a towel or something on their bed so that they're sleeping on it so it, so it has their scent. That's very, very important in the dog world. So that at least would have some, would provide some level of comfort. I'm very big on using the... Um, Adaptil collars, the you know that have, that are impermeated with the uh, pheromones. I, I've used them with my guys. For instance, if we're going on vacation, because uh, we only we only go on vacation with our dogs. Um, <laughs> if we're going on vacation several days before we go, be, recognizing that the, the atmosphere at home is going to be more stressed and more and going to be different than what it would be on a normal day. Um, by the way, you know how hard it is to talk with your hands when you're on the phone. Um, <laughs> That's why we like to come in the I studio and use microphones. 
<laughs> Just talk one-handed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, anyway, so several days ahead of, ahead of our of leaving, I'll put an adaptive collar on each of the dogs. And for those who don't know, an adaptive collar, it looks like a flea collar, and it's impregnated with a pheromone that replicates the pheromone produced by, uh, you know, mommy dog, if you want to say it that way. Lactating bitch is what you're really trying to say. <laughs> and, um, and so it helps to calm the dog. I find them especially useful with greyhounds because they have been with their mother and their litter so much longer than, than um, most puppies are. Mm-hmm. So as a result, this, this, I think, has a more comforting sense to it. That's my opinion. I don't have anything to base that on. I wish I had the, the money and the resources to go do a study on that somewhere. Start but, a GoFundMe. Um, so I do that. Uh, I take as many of their things with me as, as is practical, given that we're putting two dogs and two people into a, into a small almost microvan rather than minivan. So I do that. Um, I also use uh, calming music, you know, through a dog's ear. I don't know if it works or not, but it doesn't hurt. And you can actually stream it online through Spotify and through um, um, Apple Music. It used to be available free for Prime members on Amazon Music, but that's no longer free. But both uh, Spotify and, and Apple Music have, on, on the streaming services, it's called iCalm, the letter I-D-A-L-M. Hmm. I might so, need that you know, for me. Music, music, leaving it playing in the room while you're gone. Um, those are some things just off the top of my head I can think of. Mm-hmm. I try when we first go somewhere to arrange to be there a couple, a day or at least a day or two before I have to leave them alone so I can ah. get it so they get a sense they get settled in a little bit mm-hmm. now does that require making some major adjustments in your travel if you're going to an event yeah but if you're choosing to bring the dog with you then you need to be willing to make those kinds of adaptations to keep the dog from going nuts First of all, I can promise you, if it goes nuts and rips the hotel room up, A, you won't get to stay there again, and B, you're going to have quite a bill. Um, <laughs> so it, it makes sense to kind of do that. Um, so the more you can do to make the environment safe and calm before you leave them alone, and start with leaving them alone for a short period to see how it goes, rather than saying, oh, gee, let's go shopping and coming back four hours later. Mm-hmm. No. Leave them alone while you go have breakfast for half an hour as opposed to spending the day away. Right. But it really comes down to why do the dogs need to be with you? you know, why, in those circumstances, if they can't go with you every, almost everywhere, why are they with you? We plan our vacation around, around the dogs. I mean, we go places where the dogs can virtually go with us anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, they may not be able to go to a restaurant, but... They can go for walks. They can go, you know, whatever. If the weather if the weather is acceptable, um, you know, like it's since we we vacation in mid fall. Um, if the weather is acceptable, we can take them somewhere and leave them in the car with with the windows open and you know run into a shop or something. But virtually everything we do, the dogs are with us. Mm-hmm. 
uh, or if they couldn't be, then we would be looking at having making other arrangements so that they were staying in a in an environment at home that was comfortable to them. Right. So I think those are important. Well, and that's what we do. Our dogs um, stay at home, and we actually we kind of changed up our what we do what two three years ago because we started observing that. We'd have the dog sitter come over, used to come over at, because we'd have early morning flights to fly back east, be at the house at like three in the morning. We started having her come over in the afternoon. And then we would, you know, after the dog sitter got there, we would pack up and leave and go stay at a hotel near the Phoenix airport. And we, we found that our dogs seemed to be a lot less stressed with her coming over in the afternoon you know, feeding them dinner, then eventually they go to bed, and then I think they wake up the next morning like, okay, now who were those two people that were here yesterday? And what we found, too, now when we get home, it's almost like they used to hear the vehicle pull up and they would just be bouncing off the door waiting for us to get in. Now we walk in the house and like, oh, you're back? Oh, good to see you. Yeah. I mean, They're, it, it, they're, they're relaxing. They're, they're at home. They're in their environment, happy. And they like their dogs. I've never tried that because you know, I don't. Re- I've never had to go anywhere where I had to fly and you know, leave the dogs home alone. Mm-hmm. You know, one of us is always here. But um, but that t- sounds to me like a good plan. Um, you know, obviously it seems to be working for you, and it's certainly a good suggestion. And I'm saying that based on I used to have a, a dog. He was my demo dog. I took. He was a therapy dog. I took him with him with me almost virtually anywhere I could. And he reached the point that when he realized that I was going away, you know, I used to be out doing a lot more seminars and workshops and stuff than I am now, and it reached the point I just have to pack in the basement because he had had inflammatory bowel disease. And so as, as he became aware that I was getting ready to go somewhere, He'd stress. That would start out. Yeah. So I'm leaving my husband home alone with a dog with inflammatory bowel disease. Um, so I got to the point where I would literally, over the course of several days, move my clothes to the basement and pack them <laughs> so that I could leave without without him watching me pack. Um, and, and, you know, I listened to myself saying that. And it, can you imagine what that would sound like if I was sitting in some restaurant somewhere having this conversation <laughs> and the people in the next group never had a dog well, me say this? Yeah, well, next remind us about that next this year when we're... Out of a flaming mind. Yeah. Yeah, when we're in Lewis, have, Lewis having dinner, uh, we'll remember that story. But, you know, it's funny you bring this up because just a uh, few weeks ago, Kathy and I were talking. I travel a lot, and uh, you remember Harley. He used to do a little stress too, when, yeah. as soon as he saw the suitcase, he knew what was going on going on well now my newest puppy who's no longer a puppy sasha he knows what's going on as soon as he sees the suitcases uh, we were even discussing should i start packing the suitcases out in the office and take them around a different way so they never come through the house they never see them yeah well and sasha well, okay you know what i'm talking yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well and and versus blueberry who i lee i don't know if you ever met him he was uh the, the obviously the blue dog um he would pee on Rory's suitcases when he knew he was heading out of town. <laughs> well, he wanted to make sure you knew how to yeah. find him, I guess. Yeah, at- editorializing. <laughs> well, we've got about For two sure minutes to our break. 
Right, but it all boils down to, I believe, is you're the other end of the leash, and you need to know what's going on and observing your dogs so that you can make adjustments if you need to so that you can eliminate this unneeded stress from your dog's life. And, you know, Lee, with what you were talking earlier about the uh, – you could switch to dogs. I had a lady at one event one time. She just turned around. She handed me her leash and turned right back around to start shopping. She didn't know who she gave her dog to. I could have just walked off with her dog, and then she'd be like, "Now, okay, what did the guy look like I gave my dog to, and who was he? And, my God, my dog's gone. <laughs> yeah. Well, while, while we laugh, it's yeah. not funny. But it's true. That's it. That's the sad part. Been one of my, when I, I'm a CGC evaluator, a canine good citizen evaluator, and one of the tests in there is a supervised separation where you basically hand your dog to someone else for, and they have to, you know, be calm staying with someone else for three minutes. And I'm thinking, that, who do I know that would just hand their dog's leash to somebody other than the vet? Nope. And the truth is, nobody. I don't know anybody who would do that. Same here. Uh, so well, you did meet of, someone. Yeah. <laughs> so, I can't imagine someone just, here, hold my dog. Yeah. Now, yes, in an emergency and all those, yes. But, you know, um, in an emergency, you're going to be acting so differently that when you hand the dog's leash off to someone, they're not going to be calling about it anyway. Right. Um, well, you know, and neither are you. Right. So, with, uh, with so, that, so I always find some of these yeah. kind of a little surreal. Um, <laughs> well, with that said, we need to take a quick break. We got to get, you know, speaking of stress free living for the dogs, we need to get them out for a break, and we will be back after these messages. And we'll be talking more with Lee about uh, dogs and maybe addressing the adopting a younger dogs and things you have with that issue. Sounds good. All right, take those doggies out. <laughs> The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you ever experienced the joy of living? Not just aspects of your life, but the true joy of life itself. Very sure has. You could call him an ambassador of joy. From a successful entrepreneur to becoming a quadriplegic due to a rare disease to his ongoing recovery through swimming and physical rehabilitation, Barry now presents his gifts to others as host of The Joy of Living. All you need to do is tune in. Listen live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on The Voice America Variety Channel. Attention. 
If you're a parent, educator, social worker, or civic or religious leader, the most important program you'll hear this week is Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. Host Opal Singleton and her guest show how our children and others are being dangerously lured by predators through the dark web, social media apps, and games. Beyond that, the program looks at trends in human trafficking and more. You'll never think of the Internet the same way again. Listen Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. GPA, that's Greyhound Pets of America. If you would like information on how you can adopt an ex-racing Greyhound, call 800-366-1472. These dogs are fit, healthy, happy, playful pets, good with children, and oh, do they love lots of hugs. Adopt a cool Greyhound today. Call 800-366-1472. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Listening to Greyhounds Make Great Pets with Rory, TJ, and Kathy. To find out more about the show and what we do, please send an email to gmgp3 at yahoo.com. That's gmgp3 at yahoo.com. Now, back to Greyhounds Make Great Pets. Welcome back to the second half of Greyhounds Make Great Pets. I'm Kathy. Hey, Rory's over here. Hey. And our guest. Lee Livingood, author of <laughs> uh, Greyhounds uh, for Blondies. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Greyhounds for Dummies. Yes. <laughs> okay, that was a blonde moment. That's right. That's an extra special feature of our show. <laughs> All right, but seriously now, we're back with Lee Livingood, and we're going to talk more doing good things for your dogs and making you look like a good pet owner. So, Lee, welcome back to part two. It's good to be here with you guys again. <laughs> All right. Um, so let's talk a little bit. Um, it does seem like in, in the Greyhound world, of course, it's Christmas time and, and pets are being purchased for, 
for Christmas gifts, and we're not even going to touch that one. But in the Greyhound world... Don't uh, you, <laughs> yeah. me on that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, some younger dogs are coming in these days um, due to the the scene in, in racing or, you know, what have you. So we're seeing some uh, Greyhounds coming into programs um, under two, maybe a year and a half, uh, some that have never raced, and uh, even some puppies. So these are a little different than what the... Greyhound community has been used to with retired racers. So tell us, how should new adopters, maybe even experienced adopters who maybe never had a young, young dog, what fun things can they look forward to and what can they do to make their life sane? <laughs> well, let's start with should you adopt <laughs> ah. a dog. Um, and the best way to answer that question is to um, go to the nearest shelter or find a friend uh, who has a dog that age of one of the, you know, like a Labrador Retriever sporting breed. That's, everybody sees greyhounds as they are when they're three, four, five years old, which is generally, with most of them, pretty mellowed out, you know, give them two minutes a day to run in the backyard or, you know, go for a couple of long walks and they're happy. We're living with a younger dog of virtually any breed. is just a whole nother world. And um, because greyhounds tend to be so mellow, I mean, it's not like there are a lot of breeds that, like, they calm down the day before they die. Greyhounds tend to calm down when they hit around three, four years old. And that's mostly their three, you know, three, four years old when they come off the track. Um, when they're younger than that, they're not. They're just plain nuts. <laughs> um, just, like just like any other adolescent dog. And I really think that the best way to decide whether or not you should get a greyhound puppy or a, an adolescent greyhound uh, that's never been on the track, because just being on the track changes some things because it's so structured. Exactly. Um, they, they need to spend time around a dog that age to see how truly obnoxious they can be. <laughs> uh, I don't that to sound I don't do it. I what I mean is you need to know what you're getting into. You know, I'll I second that. Did, <laughs> I, you know, I recently did as you guys know, I do classes for greyhounds only, retired racing greyhounds only. Dogs that have come off the track because their experiences with the world are so different than the average dog that age would be. And there was one of my students who recently adopted just an absolutely beautiful, smart, delightful, young female. And uh, she was a, she's a serious handful. She counter-surfed. She, um, just kind of goes off and does her own thing, like, you know, she's busy being a puppy. <laughs> because of the size of the dog, they mature fairly late. They don't mature till they're three or four years old. And so a dog that's a year and a half old is like having a dog that may be a, a different breed that might be like an eight-month-old. And so they're just full of themselves, and uh, you need to have a lot of energy to keep up with them. Um, they need way more exercise at that age than they need when they're three or four years old. Um, 
socialization is critically important, and unfortunately, too many people get greyhounds because they want out potatoes. They don't want to have to train. Now, we won't get into how wrong that is, but but they're they're not being realistic about what having a young greyhound or having a greyhound puppy is like. Um, I one of the things I like about puppies and young dogs is since I do classes occasionally or or do have them as private clients, is I'm sort of like being a grandma. I can go and visit, but I can go home. And uh, living with one is not the same thing as being grandma. <laughs> uh, not the same point for the afternoon. Uh, you know, when they're chewing up everything that they can get their mouth on. And, and that tends to last. I mean, when they're teething, if they're that young, that's really bad. But I generally find that they, they tend to be chewers to some degree or another, most dogs are, not just greyhounds. So they're about a year and a half or two years old, and they kind of get that out of their system. It's probably, I guess it's part of the maturing process. But, you know, so there goes the remote control. <laughs> if you've been used to leaving stay out, I promise you, it's gone. Um, your glasses. Um, your tablet, and, and your slippers, and paintings I'm, on I'm the wall. I'm speaking from experience. Okay? Glasses, remote control iPod, you know, iPod Touch, so it's sort of like a, a, an iPhone without the phone. Uh, my iPad, my mini iPad. Um, let's see, what else? You know, Wallet. the whole variety of things have this. You know, and there are dogs that came in that, you know, that remote control may have been sitting there for months with no, with nobody touched it, and one day I'll hear crunch. <laughs> And there we are. Yep. But, you know, and so, you know, the key, of course, is that, so those are things that you, you, when they're young, you're getting way more of those kinds of events than you are when you're getting an old dog, and they're just kind of learning in their environment. And, oh, gee, what's that? It looks interesting. Since I don't have any thumbs, I'll pick it up with my mouth. Um, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I've... The issue is the energy levels. Um, and, and what you need to do to keep that, to keep them exercised enough and to keep them mentally stimulated enough and, and get them socialized properly. The problem is, is that we all tend to think about socialization as a once-and-done process or once-and-done thing rather than an ongoing life process. So people who didn't think that a four-year-old greyhound needed to go, should go to a dog training class because they don't care if they do sit down, come or stay or not. <laughs> don't start me on that one. <laughs> um, with a puppy, you have to do those things. Those dogs need, if you, if you don't want that reactive dog down the road, getting them into a good class with a good instructor is so important because it does give them a chance to meet other dogs uh, in, in a controlled environment and in a safe way. Okay. It does allow them to get a variety of different people. Uh, so, and those things are really important. And, and I can't stress enough, if you're going to adopt a younger dog, how important it is to look at all of what's involved. Well, um, and, you know, you're saying that. And, uh, you know, we're just, Rory and I are looking at each other and we're laughing because our Sasha came in. Well, we met him as a very young pup uh, about eight weeks he, we did not get him till he was 14 months. But everything you have described with a young little puppy, 
it in being that he was a greyhound and really didn't go through training, he failed school. Oh. And yeah, he ripped up everything he could find because, you know, he'd been out in the runs. He'd been able to play and chew and bring in sticks. He liked wood. Everything wood he managed to, you know. Bring in. Right. Right. Well, even for those fostering years ago, and most people know I do a lot of traveling. So I remember years ago, it was a Sunday. I was actually fostering a, a young greyhound. I think she was just a little over maybe 12 months of age. I was, took my shower to get ready for go to the airport for my flight, get out, get ready, go to get my wallet. And it's like, where's my wallet? And then I look out in the yard. I see something that looks like my wallet. I go out to the yard. And there is my wallet with my driver's license, my identification for getting through. Of course, this was before TSA, with dog tooth marks all over it. <laughs> so now, Lee, what can say someone you know has a, a puppy, a young greyhound, what have you? They don't quite either want to maybe get some regimented training, um, but the dog is is doing crazy stuff. What's what's the biggest thing they can do as far as discipline? I mean, you know, do you is um, like uh, bitter apple even effective? I mean, what what's going to start that? Oh heaven! <laughs> <laughs> At least not with any dog I've ever seen. <laughs> and besides, it, it comes down to, from my perspective, a lot of management rather than punishing the dog for doing what normal dog stuff might be. The, the key is to find ways to manage the environment while you teach the dog what it is you want them to do instead. Um, everybody tries to stop bad behavior when what they really need to be focusing on is creating good behavior. Um, and that gets lost too often. It's like, all I have to do is pick up the squirt gun. Well, you know, hello, folks. If you have to pick up the squirt gun, you didn't fix the problem you taught the dog to be afraid of the squirt gun. Um, fix the problem. If the problem is the dog's barking, teach it to do something else. If the dog is uh, jumping on people who come into the house, manage the dog so they can't do that. You know, it's, it's like that old vaudeville joke. You know, the guy walks into the doctor's office and <laughs> swings his arm above his head and says, Doc, it hurts when I do this, and the doctor's response, so don't do that. Um, you know, if the dog's jumping on someone, crate the dog. Put them on a leash and tether them in a way that they can't get to the first while you teach them what it is you want them to do instead, which you have to define. That's For instance, I prefer that my dog sit to be greeted. Well, then teach them to sit and, and, and do it no matter what's happening around them. Um, there are a number of really good um, authors out there who have books on, on beginning training. And authors. I'm trying to think of any of them off the top of my head, and of course I'm going blank. But um, you know, if you're not going to do a class, at least take the time to get some videos or some things based on, and this is so important, based on um, positive training, based on not on corrections but on teaching. Um, punishment is not teaching. Punishment is fear, pressing behavior. Yep. But it's not teaching the dog anything. 
It's, well, it's no. almost like t- uh, training classes should be for the humans, not yeah. the dogs. Well, I think yes. we've just learned something. I'm not we, training dogs. We now yeah. know. I'm training. Yeah. Yeah, the, the humans. Humans. <laughs> we now know how to fix or train Lena so she'll stop barking. You just stop ordering things online, and the UPS and FedEx drivers will stop knocking on our door. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's gonna happen. Uh, Ollie's gonna yell at me. That'll happen. <laughs> there are better approaches. But you know, for instance, um, the, the Pet Professional Guild is, is a an organization that's committed to all positive training. Uh, the Association of Pet Dog Trainers, International Association of Animal Behavior Consultants, all three of those organizations um, tend toward positive methods, particularly. Um, International Association of Behavior Consultants and the uh, Pet Professional Guild are, are all geared towards really using positive methods to train. So, you know, if you're not willing to get off your butt and you notice the pause there uh, and take your dog to class, then at least go to the right sources to learn how to do it properly. Just to give you an, an example, my oldest dog now is nine, and our youngest is five. Um, I've had Nikki since she was six months old, and she's a nine-year-old. And we're doing a cl- we're starting a class next month. I'm starting a class the month after that with with Casey, who's five years old. Not because they need to go to a class, but because it gives me an opportunity to spend one-on-one time with my dog, which is really important. We've got more than one dog, and is chance to get them out and about and keep them properly socialized. So, you know, even though I do this for a living, I take my dogs to classes. You know, I take them to classes taught by, by people whose methods I believe in and trust. Um, those are some things that you know, I think people should look at, especially if, you know, I think they should look at that no matter what age the dog is, but especially if they're even considering a puppy or a young, a, a, a greyhound that's under about two years old. Definitely. Well, I'm, I've got to say that was my original reasoning for um, a greyhound and or at the time maybe a shelter dog, uh, but a greyhound mainly because I felt that the, at the information I was given 20 plus years ago, my impression was, okay, these dogs um, have a, had had a regimented life. They understand a lot of things that... I would not need to teach. Um, I, w- I was going to only have one at the time, so I was going to be with him a lot. But I enjoyed the fact that, you know, this was a dog that while it needed, you know, training to become a pet and, and guidance, um, it was it was kind of established. Whereas, like, some people are going into, you, you know, be it a greyhound or whatever pet, they're not doing, I don't think, their research, so they don't know what's, you know, going to hit them and what they're in store for. Well, you're going to start seeing more. Actually, we've seen it. There was some on the hall last week. Uh, years ago, or up until maybe a year ago, a greyhound that was, you know, instead of going to Southland, they had other places that they could send a dog, and it might build up some speed there and then eventually make its way to Southland, whereas now they don't have these lower, what we call lower-end tracks, so they're just going to pet the dog out right away. It's not quite fast enough for a Southland or Wheeling, so they just go ahead and pet it out. So you have a lot of these dogs that are very young and full of energy that are now coming into the adoption 
network, and those of us that are, have been used to adopting a dog that's three to five, these dogs are a little more high-strung than, than what we're used to. They're socialized in the way, in the sense that they've been with their litter mates, their mom, and all the farm personnel. They've just never been through the track regiment and going through all that. So it's just something you got to be aware of, that there is a slight difference from the seasoned dog we're used to versus the energetic youngster that you may find yourself adopting. So hide your valuables. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and wear a cup. I think that. <laughs> okay. Uh, we'll stop on that one. But, but I do think that so many people, at least when we first started adopting greyhounds, it wasn't our reason for doing it, but, but a lot of people saw them as turnkey dogs, that you didn't have to do anything. They just walked in and everything was fine because that's kind of how they were being promoted. Right. Um, and, you know, I used to joke about, yeah, the first one you get perfect and the second one's a real dog. Uh, but the truth is, is that they were all real dogs. And, and and I think it was always kind of a fallacy to pretend that they were just some kind of special creature that didn't need the things that other dogs need. The only thing, the only place I saw a real misconception was the sense that that they needed a whole ton of exercise. People didn't realize that the average greyhound, you know, when they're at the track, they're only running a couple of times a week. It's not like they need to do this every day. Right. Um, so, the so perception of thinking that that's what you're going to get if you get a younger greyhound, it's not likely to be a couch potato immediately. And it still needs all the things that real dogs need because it is a real dog and we need to stop pretending that it's, like, you know, it's a read apart. It's a breed apart, and then it has its own special things. But it's still, and primarily a dog, it's still primarily a predator, uh, and all the things that go with that. And um, so, you know, we need to adjust accordingly. Um, you know, I've had dogs. Our dogs have come in. The youngest we've had is six when we got her. Six months, rather, when we got her, and the oldest we've gotten is seven years old. So. You know, I kind of had a range in between. Most of them have been around, too, uh, because they were generally dogs that didn't make it on the track. So I've kind of seen that whole range of what to expect kind of stuff. And I I think that, you know, I, I just wish, I hope people don't start rushing into, oh, a puppy. Yeah. So, no. No, uh, well, you know, and with so that, yeah. That, with that, uh, Lee, we definitely want to thank you for joining us. You probably have been on, I think we go with uh, previous Greyhounds Make Great Pets, and this new round probably have been our uh, been guesting on the show the most. So we definitely thank you. You always have some great information. And with that, twas a week and a half before Christmas and all throughout Greyhounds Make Great Pets, Christmas elf Aaron was busy running our engineer room. <laughs> want to thank Christmas Elf Aaron for doing another great job as our engineer. Tracy, our producer, thank you much. To everyone involved in Greyhound and the other hounds adoption, thank you. Everyone, hug the hounds of the world. Howl!
thank you for listening this week to Greyhounds Make Great Pets. Please join your hosts, Rory Goray, TJ Beater, and Kathy Goray for another edition of our program next Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a wonderful week.